chapter 3, Revelation, it says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis. Sardis means the remnant. Write, These things saith he, that at the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that has an ear. You guys here today? Okay, but we have more people with ears this week than we had last week. Singular, he, individuals that has an ear. That's a heart with the right attitude, by the way. You have an ear to hear, not to hold up your glasses or your earrings. You actually, your heart is telling you that you need to hear the things God has for you. He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit, not me, the Spirit is saying presently to the church as plural, not just Sardis, to the church as plural. Saith in the present tense, that says the Spirit is speaking today as we're gathered here. And the Spirit has something he wants to say to the churches. Jesus is dictating it, standing before John in his glory. John is writing, and the Holy Spirit then takes that God-breathed text and makes it alive for us today. This church at Sardis, look, it is obviously we just talked written to the individual. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. It is written to us as a body of believers. The Lord is making an assessment of these different churches. So whatever we can find in this for ourselves, whatever we can find in this for our congregation, let's do that. Um, There was a historic, literal church in Sardis. Sardis, the city... Um, we know it was around 1,200 years before Christ. Uh, this time, as Jesus is sending this letter, probably between 60,000 and 100,000 people lived there, which was a sizable city for the day. Um, there was a citadel in the city that was far above, 1,500 feet above the rest of the city, a fortress. Three sides were straight up. You'd need a professional rock climber with hammers and spikes to get up. 
On the, on the other side, it was approachable. There was a way up, but the idea, it was so easy to defend, they considered themselves impregnable. Nobody could get up there. There was a king, Kerosis, who was there, 549 B.C. Uh, five trade routes came in there, and one of the rivers that went by was large deposits of gold. They were getting gold out of the river. So Kerosis was the first one to mint gold and silver coins, and uh, the Greeks called him Midas. Okay? Just you're learning something you never knew before that you always knew. Um, they called him Midas, and he felt that one of the pagan deities, Artemis, goddess of war, Sibyl, another name, uh, told him in a dream to attack Cyrus, the Persian. His army was on the other side of one of the rivers. So Kerosis decides he's going to do that. Now, that's, I don't want that dream. That's a bad dream. Attack Cyrus. That's never smart. Persians had the largest army the world had seen. So he attacks Cyrus and all blows up. It goes bad. And they come back then to the citadel. They go up, they shut the doors, and Cyrus camps around the citadel. And it's kind of impregnable. So there's no way to get to it. Um, Cyrus has a soldier, a Mardian soldier, whose name is Hierodius. I guess. I'm doing my best here. And he's one of the guards watching the city. And during the day, somebody drops a helmet over the wall. And he watches it bounce down. Just takes note. But that night, he saw somebody come down and get the helmet and go back up and realize there was a path there. So he took his team then of soldiers, went up, opened the door. They took the city that was impregnable while everybody was asleep. Never thought it could happen. Again, Antiochus the Great in 218 B.C. hired a mountain climber to be part of his team as he surrounded the city. And they were able to get up again into the city. Both times the city was taken while people were sleeping. So there was a saying that it was a city taken like a thief in the night. So it fits exactly what the Lord wants to say to this church historically. The warning here is going to be against apathy, a sleeping church. Are we awake? He says this church is living on its reputation. As he begins to speak to it, there's no commendation. The other churches, even Thyatira, Pergamos, he says, I know your works. This is what you're doing. This church, he says, I know your works. You have a name that you're alive and you're dead. There's no commendation. He goes right into his reproof of this church. And look, he does it. It tells us in verse 1, as you know, the, the angel to the right to the angel of the church of Sardis, from the one who has the seven spirits and the seven stars in his hand. That's description from the first chapter. He's speaking to a church that's dying. You know, and, and as I study through, it, there's no throwaway here. He's begging, he's telling them how to get back on their feet again. And it reminds me of a doctor over a patient saying, "You're dying of complications. This is what we're going to. You're gonna, this is what we're going to have to do to preserve life. You're, you're withering. You're atrophying. You're dying." And I believe the heart of the Lord is broken as He speaks to this church, and He speaks to the church as the one with the sevenfold spirit, Jesus Christ. You know, Himself and His ministry. 
born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit at the baptism of John when he begins his public ministry, promises the Spirit when he ascends, the church born by the Holy Spirit uh, on Pentecost, uh, the church directed in its missions by the Holy Spirit, separated under me, Saul and, and uh, Barnabas, and the ministry I've called them to, Acts 13. Uh, 54 times in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. 54 times. So he's speaking to this church as the one who has the fullness of the Spirit and the seven stars, the leaders of the church, with his ordination, not just from a college or a university. He's basically saying, I'm the one who understands the life of the church. I'm the one who understands what true shepherds are, leadership. And he speaks to the church from that point of view, and he says, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. You're living on past reputation. Uh, there, we're told in this day there was still a marketplace. They were living in their past glory, and all they would do was walk around in the marketplace and talk about the good old days, how they had had this, they were impregnable, how they, you know, all they did, we're, we're told by historians in this day that the city was destroyed through immorality, again, temple prostitutes and so forth. But it says all the people did in Sardis is talk about their history how wonderful they had been. And, you know, and we have to just be careful as Christians, obviously you make personal application, that we just don't talk about the good old days. Remember to the church of Ephesus, he said, you've left your first love. That's breaking the heart of the Lord. And I've you know, heard from too many Christians who say, yeah, I'm a spirit-filled Christian. And they're in for counseling. They're living in sin. I'm thinking, well, a spirit-filled Christian is not a title. It's a condition. If you're a spirit-filled Christian, it's not just so you can speak in tongues. My pastor used to say the steam is in the engine, not just to blow the whistle, but to move the train. Those that are led of the spirit are the children of God. You know, so, so really you're spirit-filled and you're living like this? You know, well, that's, we're living on reputation when we do that. We have some title. We've attached something to us. And churches can do that too. And certainly as we look at this church historically, it gives us a picture, no doubt, of the Reformation. You have the Apostolic Church in Ephesus, the persecuted church in Smyrna. You have the church married to the world in Pergamos. You have the church seduced, no doubt, all through the Middle Ages in Thyatira. And then you have the Reformation. You have those who brought justification, soteriology, back to the church, Calvin and Luther, in a powerful way. Uh, but if you, you know, you know, you figure, well, if Luther could see what was going on in the Lutheran Church today, he would nail the 99 thesis on the Lutheran Church, not on the Catholic Church. If the Wesleys could see what was going on in the Methodist Church today, you can imagine what they would do. If Calvin could see what was going on in much of the Presbyterian Church today, you could see, you can imagine the impression he'd have, what he'd have to think. And, and the point is, in all of those systems, he says, even in Sardis, there are those that are believers. There's always a remnant. And in all those church systems, all the denominations, there are those still camped there. Pray for the pastor. Pray for the church. We grew up in this church. We bought the, you know, the offering plates here. You don't buy the offering plates and move to another church. You stay here. You know, the, you know in all those systems. So he's, Jesus is saying to this church, no, I'm the one who provides life. I'm the one who provides the shepherding, the care of the church. And I understand, I can see, I know Oida completely, divinely, 
your works, what you're doing, and that you say you're alive and you're really dead, he says to this church. He begins to give his his warning, his prescription here. Verse 2, he says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Notice they're not quite dead yet. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, hold fast and repent. If, therefore, thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come. So the, the, there's these, you know, one author called a staccato imperatives. Be watchful, strengthen, remember, hold fast, repent. It's all part of his prescription. He doesn't just say, ah, pull the sheet over the head, this one's gone. He, he doesn't do that. He, you know, he says, battle, you know, clear, you know, he's hitting this one, trying to bring it back again in his love. And he says, what's necessary, first of all, is be watchful. President Brewer, you must constantly be watchful. That's part of being spiritually awake. You're watchful. You see what's going on in the world around you. He's encouraging them. Be watchful. You need to continually, present imperative, continually, and it's not a suggestion, a continual necessity. You must be watchful, he says. And you must strengthen the things that remain. What remains? You know, what do you got going? Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still going to church once in a while. Well, then strengthen that. Don't go once in a while. Go regularly, right? Uh, I still read my Bible once in a while. Don't read it once in a while. Read it regularly. You don't eat once in a while. You somehow get to the refrigerator every day, multiple times, Right? During the whole COVID thing, I heard somebody saying, I, I, people were saying, I need to do social distancing from my refrigerator. I've gained so much weight, you know. Uh, well, what, we're fed spiritually on the word. That's what God's given us to have spiritual health and nourishment. Do it. Strengthen what remains. Um, you know, I, I, I pray sometimes. Pray more. Just pray more. I mean, I know people... They talk all day long. If you see them, you think, oh, don't ask them how they're doing. You're going to hear for three hours if you do that. You know, you know well, why do we talk to the Lord like that? Right? Here's what he's saying. This church, you have a name in your life. You're not alive. You're dead. You're dying. You have to be watchful, first of all, and then you have to strengthen the things remain that are ready to die. The thing, you know, the, the, you know there's still a little bit of a pulse for I have not found thy works perfect. The idea is complete. Interesting, it's a perfect tense. I have not found them, nor do I find them complete before God, your works. It's, they're, they're, they're not what they were intended to be. Now listen to the prescription. Remember, therefore, present imperative, be remembering constantly, therefore. We remember all kinds of things, don't we? He says, be constantly, not a suggestion, be constantly remembering therefore, and look what he says, how thou hast received and heard. doesn't say, be constantly remembering what you received and heard. He says, how. 
Don't constantly be remembering what you heard, what you received. Remember how. I mean, when I first got saved, I didn't know the difference between an epistle and an apostle. When I first got saved, I didn't know what the book of Galatians was. When I first got saved, I didn't know all the verses I know now. When I first got saved, I read the book of Revelation. It was fascinating because I was coming out of an era of LSD and huffing glue. And, you know, so I gave all kinds of meanings to it, which it didn't mean at all. But it was just fascinated me. Right. But I was reading it. I was eating it. I was, you know, I was I was zealous. I just had no idea what I was being zealous about. All I knew was that Jesus died for me. My sins were forgiven and I was going to go to heaven. And because I knew that, everybody around me knew it too. Right? How, how did you receive? How, it's, how did you hear? How did you receive? There was fire. There was excitement. There was a fascination of a child. There was childlikeness. Jesus said, unless you receive the kingdom like a child, you'll in, in no wise enter in. How, how was it? That's what he's saying. You need to constantly be remembering how it was. He says, now you have a name that you're alive. You're not. I was there when you were born of the Spirit. I was there when your church was born of the Spirit. I was there. You need to constantly be remembering how you received and how you heard. We, when we first got saved, we went to church. We weren't sure of lots of things, but we went. Now we think, uh, we have discernment now. Uh, I don't know that point, you know. Oh, that song, I'm not sure of the lyrics there. Oh, you know, don't sit there, they're going to hug you. You know, we, our, our love has turned to discernment, you know. He says, you can cool. You can cool. His suggestion, and he's the great physician, his prescription, constantly be remembering, therefore, how... Thou hast received, and of course we did that through the blood of Christ. We didn't do it because we deserved it or earned it. And how we heard, and then he says, President Imperative, you must constantly hold fast to those things. Go back, make that journey. You know, when we hold a grudge about against somebody, we have no trouble going back, do we? You know, when sometimes you get in an argument with your spouse, and instead of being hysterical, they're historical. All they do is remind you of the bad old days. You know, uh, he, he says here, remember the good old days. Remember that, but hold on to it. Strengthen the things that are still alive. It, it, be remembering how you received and how you heard in the beginning. And hold fast to that constantly. And if you do that, repent. Turn back to me. Metanoia, change the mind. You've been going in the wrong direction. You've been cooling. Come back to life. Let me resuscitate you. Come back. If therefore thou shalt not watch, the first thing he said, verse 2, be watchful. If you shall not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not, that's the oime, it's a double negative, and there's no way you will never know what hour I will come upon thee. Now, it's very interesting. Certainly, there was a historic application, because that's what they say, that, that Sardis was taken like a thief in the night. But the grammar here doesn't allow just for that. And when you go through the New Testament, every time this phrase is used about the coming of the Lord like a thief in the night, 
It's in context of the return of Christ. It's the only context you will find it in as you go through the scripture. It tells us in Matthew 24, But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken into. That's in context of a second coming. In Luke, he says this, And this know, that if the good men of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour that you think not. Uh, we know in First Thessalonians, Paul there uh, in the fifth chapter when he wrote it, there were no chapter breaks. He just finished what he said in the end of the fourth chapter, uh, where he said the Lord himself is going to descend with the shout, voice of the archangel, the trump of God. Then those you know that are in the ground, they're going to be caught up. And then those of us that are alive, we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air with them in the clouds. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And he said, then with no chapter break, he says, but in regards to times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you because you yourselves know perfectly well that that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come as travail upon a woman. So there again, in, in regards to the second coming, Second Peter chapter 3 says it this way. <clears throat> um, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away and so forth. And you're going to hear it several times in the book of Revelation. Now look, for you and I, um, it doesn't say Jesus is a thief. He's not coming to steal anything. It says he's coming as. Now for you and I, he comes as the bridegroom, not as a thief. But his coming itself will be preemptive. It'll be unexpected. Any of you guys ever have your house broken into? couple, okay. There's still time, don't worry. <clears throat> Remember, until one time we came home, my dad was about 65. I was young. I was a teenager. And uh, we pulled in a drive, came up to the front door, and somebody was running through the house with a flashlight towards the back. My dad runs off the porch, jumps over the fence. He's 65. He jumped over the fence, and I'm going, ah, and he's running to the back, and and the guy, whoever it was, runs out the back door. It was funny because my mom used to have these metal wash poles that they were round, heavy metal that went in the ground for the clothesline, and the the one in the middle of the yard was there, and the guy's tearing across the yard, and I hear him go, and he falls down, but he got up, and he jumped across the fence, he got away. But then you go in the house, everything's disheveled. You know, and there's this sense of violation, the sense of vulnerability. This is not supposed to happen. Just, you know, and he's saying that's going to be the sense of it for those that are not watching. Be watchful. Strengthen the things that remain. Remember how it was in the beginning, how you received, how you heard. Because, because people that aren't in that frame of mind, when I come... It's going to be like a thief in the night. And again, for you and I, 
that are watching for him, you know, we're, we're supposed to be like, you know, waiting for the bridegroom, like the maidens. But isn't it interesting? It says even the five virgins with oil in their lamp had to be awakened when the bridegroom came. That's a parable. You can't make doc, strict doctrine out of that. But so for you and I, Jesus is saying, I'm coming. I, I, I'm coming. I'm coming. You know, if I, if I go to Israel or if I travel, I'm somewhere, when the kids were small, it was always great to come home because they were so excited. And my bride would be there. I was in the West Coast when 911 happened, and you're thinking, am I ever going to get home? Philadelphia seemed like no planes were flying, had to drive across the country. And when it's happening, you're thinking, Lord, okay, they hit, they hit New York, they hit the Pentagon, this plane went down to Pennsylvania, are they going to hit? What, what else is going to happen here? Is this going to precipitate Ezekiel 30, 39? Where's this going? You feel far away. You feel, you know, and you just want to get back. I remember we were, in, again, in Jerusalem when President Reagan bombed Libya. And in the middle of the night, we're woke. You know, somebody, my wife calls, middle of the night. I thought you'd just like to know we just bombed Libya. Click. I'm thinking, where, I'm, where, where am I? Who's Libya? What's going on? You know, and then you kind of come to your senses. You're in a, tired in a strange room in a hotel. <clears throat> but then you think you can't swim home. You know, I'm far from home. That's on my end. But on the other end, you don't want to get home and, and have them going, oh, <clears throat> I think might be dad. Walk away. Nobody's there. Uh, you know, he's saying to his bride, to his children, I, you know, I'm coming. And if you're not watching for me, there's an illness. You need to be resuscitated. You need to get your heart going again. I paid the price. I bled my life into the ground so you could live. I'm coming to take hold of you, and I want you to be awake. We're awake to all kinds of things that go around us these days. The awakeness that he wants is relative to the kingdom, relative to his coming, relative to our calling, relative to the love we're supposed to have one for another, relative to serving him and sharing the gospel in this world. We're supposed to be awake and watchful. He says, if you are not, I'll come upon you as a thief in the night, and you will not, no way, know what hour I will come upon thee. But then he says, you know, even in Sardis, thou hast a few names. <laughs> it's really something when the Lord says, even. You have a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. And listen how wonderful this is. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Walk with him in white. That's only by the blood of the lamb that we're worthy. There's no effort here, but they're watchful. They held on. What's it going to be like? We're going to walk with him in white. And, and I'm sure that's not, you know, it, it says in chapter 19 that the bride of Christ, the saints, were clothed in fine linen, white and bright. And it says, and that linen is, it's interesting, it's plural, that linen, that those white robes are the righteousness as of the saints. You know, I think Adam, an image bearer, when God made Adam, he was clothed with light. He says our bodies are going to be fashioned like unto his glorious body when we go to heaven. I think Adam was clothed with light. He was created in the image of Christ. 
when he sinned, the light went out. The first thing he said is, I knew I was naked and I was ashamed. White robe disappeared, whatever it was. Gone. Through the fall. He says here, there's a day coming, it's future active. We're going to walk together in white. You're going to be clothed again, naked no more. Clothed again with his righteousness provided at the cross. Isn't it, you know, to me, a thing I love about that is we're going to get to heaven and nobody's going to say, hey, he's got Versace. Hey, he's got Calvin. You know, no, just everybody's got the same outfit. Right? I hope you can deal with that. Right? Everybody's going to be clothed the same outfit, the whitest, brightest, most brilliant enswathment is what the word means that you can imagine. And look, what's glory about, glorious about that, in your mind, may not be on this side, but on his side, every one of those white robes speaks out loud of the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That multitude dressed in gleaming white outfits, you know, it's, it's going to be all give glory to him. You know, you get to heaven and say, hey, if you see my mom, they'll say, oh, yeah, she's dressed in white. She's over there. Like, that's a help, you know. <laughs> Just think of what he's saying. This is so remarkable. And he's putting it on the heart of this church. It's kind of cooled. He says, you're going to, if you do this, he says, even in Sardis, you have some of those that haven't defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. I will not, and that's the only may again, the double negative. I will never, ever blot his name out. You know, so so we look at this as Christians. He says, he says now the people who, you know, the overcome... I'm not going to blot their name out of the book of life. So for us, because we get condemned so easy, we listen to the enemy, we think, all right, uh, I know I'm going to mess this up. I know he's following me around with a big blotter in his hand, and uh, and I'm going to do something wrong, and he's going to blot, there goes my name, he's going to blot me out of the book of life. And that's not what it's saying at all. He's blotted out my debit column, He's blotted out what I owe and what I've done wrong in the blood of his son. He's blotted that out, and he's given me the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting. It tells us this. Now, God's a great bookkeeper. That's good and bad. He's a great bookkeeper. It says in Psalm 56, there's a book there. It talks about written, and it says that, Thou, David said, Thou tellest all my wanderings. You know the whole story of my life. And he says, And all my tears, are they not kept in thy bottle and written in thy book? He knows the long journey of life. And it says there's a book written that everywhere you've been, when you sat alone, you felt ripped off, you felt betrayed, your heart was broken. You died because a loved one passed out of this life. 
You, you cried because you got defriended. That never bothers me. You know, it just whatever it is, you were lonely, you were broken, that every tear that flowed then, you thought nobody noticed. God says, I saw it. I recorded it in a book, in a scroll, and I saved it in a bottle. Some of us are going to have swimming pools when we get to heaven, you know, not bottles, you know. But, but that's a book. It's a book of remembrance written, Psalm 56, that there isn't a tear you've shed. You're his child, you're his bride, that he hasn't taken note of and recorded and kept. Tells us in Malachi, it says this. It says, of those who are gathering, it says, And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my jewels, I will spare them as a man spares. So talking about those he's going to spare. And it, and it says, They that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and thought on his name. So it says, when we come together publicly, he takes note of that. And it says, when we gather and talk on his name, it says, he hearkens. It's the word that you never see a horse sometimes, so their ears stand up. That's the idea. He hearkens. And then it says, he bends down and puts his ear. He hears those who have gathered to sing and to talk about his name. You and I are in the Superdome this morning, but the Superdome is this big ear over the whole building where you listen, we're gathered here. And it says, there's a book written. If you're watching on TV, you better get here. Because when this book is written, it's the names who have gathered with us. I know some of you are ill, we're thankful we have the, the feed for you guys, but for you guys that are thinking, eh, yeah, just watch it at home, get in the book. He's keeping book. He's a bookkeeper. Well, there's a book of life. You know, what in the world is that talking about? Moses in Exodus says this. It says, yet now, if thou will forgive their sin, he's, Moses comes down, you know what's going on, the party, the, the, the golden calf. He says, if you'll forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of that book. Psalm 69 uh, says it this way, Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. It's talking about the wicked. So whatever the book of life is, you know, it seems to be the book of everyone who's ever lived. And they're written in the book of life because John himself tells us Christ didn't die for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. And it says the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world and the book written. So it seems to be that the book of, this is my best shot at, the book of life are the names of everyone who's ever lived. That's life. And anybody who dies without Christ dies in their sin. Their name is blotted out of the book of life. And you can follow that all the way up into the book of Revelation. Well, I'll turn there. Uh, it's in chapter 16, but let me go to the end. 
In chapter 20 it says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books, plural, were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books according to their works. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So it seems that all the way through there's a book of life. Those who die rejecting God, refusing to receive his forgiveness, their names are blotted out of the book of life. Until the only names left in that book are the names of those that are saved. Chapter 21 of Revelation says, And there shall be no more, um, they shall no more sinners enter in, um, there's no more enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they, sh- but they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. So it seems the book of life, when everybody who's blotted out, who's not saved, at that point it transitions and becomes the Lamb's book of life. Because everybody who's written in it is there because of the blood of Jesus. So the book of life contains, it seems, the, the, the names of all who ever lived. Those who reject Christ when they die are blotted out of that book. When every rejecter is blotted out, then only thing that remains are the names of the saved, and it becomes the Lamb's book of life. Look, your name and my name are written in lots of places, aren't they? Right? We're signing too many things on computers these days. Right now we got all these plans to protect us because somebody can forge your name and take your house, take your car, do this, do all these. You buy all these programs now to protect you. We sign things everywhere. Well, just think of the list your name is. Some, and some of us, I know that the, the lists are in the police station and the post office. And, you know, think, think of the places where some of our names are listed. Do you know Christ today? What lists are your names on? Is it listed here? Where he's talking. It needs to be. If you don't know Christ today, in the final analysis, is your name a name that will be blotted out? Or is your name a name that will be written forever because of the blood of Jesus Christ? And you can make that decision today. We'll be up here after the service. We'd love to pray with you, give you a Bible, some literature to read. Ah, you're making, I don't believe this. Doesn't You believe in it doesn't make it true. It's not true because you believe it. You're a little man, a little woman. We're talking about God. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about heaven. We're talking about glory. That's what matters. And his books are the ones that matter. Right? Me and you, we appreciate it. Whoever's clapping out there, we appreciate that. So look, just make your decision today. If you never come to Christ, you want your name written in the right place, don't you? You ever hear when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there? And look, it's, it's remarkable. Look what he says as he ends this portion here. He says this, I will not, that's never, ever, double negative again, blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will, that's, future middle voice something he himself he says he's going to do 
I will confess, that word confess is confess boldly. I will, me for myself, I'm going to confess boldly your name before my father and before his angels. Imagine that. Because sometimes we think like he's going to say, yeah, father, I know. You said, you love the world so much, you gave your only son that whosoever, and we didn't think he was going to be one of the whosoever's, but all right, Father Joe's here, see you, Joe, you know. No, he says he's going to pronounce our name personally, boldly before his father. Father, Joe, he's home, he's washed, he's saved, we got him out of that mess, he's not dead, he's alive forever, Father. He's going to do that before his father and the angels, all of you. All of you. You'll be just as funny as mine. (laughs) Right? He's going to do that for all of us. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit presently today is saying to the churches and to Calvary Chapel of Philadelphia. It's not enough for us to live in reputation. It's not enough for us to say, well, I'm a born-again Christian. What condition is your spiritual life in? That affects all of us. He says, what I want you to do, I'm the one that has the seven spirits. I'm the one who holds the leadership in my hand. What I want you to do is I want you to be watchful. I want you to strengthen the things that remain, that are not dead in your life. You're a prodigal, you're backslidden. And and let those things start to come back to life. He says, be remembering how you do that. is, Is how you heard and how you receive. It was grace. Remember how on fire you were in the beginning. Remember how you wanted to get to church. You wanted to read the Bible. You wanted to pray. You wanted to evangelize. You read prophecy, even though you didn't understand it. You were just excited. You believed the Lord was coming. It affected the way you lived. He says, remember how you received and how you heard. He says, because if you don't do this and then repent, he said, if you don't, I'm going to come like a thief in the night. That's how my coming is going to be. Not coming as a thief. He's coming as a bridegroom. But, the, but for those that are in the ozone, they're not paying attention. He says it's going to be like a thief in the night. Be awake spiritually. Be awake spiritually. That hurts a little bit because you have to be awake to your own sin. You have to be awake to your own failings. You have to be awake to the fact you don't deserve anything. But that makes you awake to the fact that's been paid for in the blood. That makes you awake to the fact that he loves you so much he gave his son and traded him for you. That makes you awake to the fact that we have a blessed hope, not because you're earning it, because it's given to us freely. That makes you awake to the fact that all this insanity going on around us has nothing to do. The vertical doesn't determine our destiny. The vertical, the horizontal doesn't determine it. The vertical determines it, right? We need to be awake to that. And he says, he says if you do that, look. I'm never going to blot your name out of the book. That sounds good to me. I don't know about you guys. I've been blotted out of enough places this time is going on. I'm never going to blot your name out of the book. You're going to walk with me in white, glistening, shining, says like the stars of heaven. And I'm going to go to my father with you. I'm going to take you along with me. And I'm going to boldly confess you before the Father and all the angels of heaven. You think you can hear stuff? Hear that, he says. Hear that. That's what I'm saying. So hear it. Amen?
Let's stand. As we sing this last song, too, we'd just like to invite you. If you've never given your life to Christ, just come down while we're worshiping. Stand here. We want to give you a Bible, some literature to read. We don't want your address or your phone number, no hassles. We don't want anything from you. We want everything for you. In fact, the Bible says somewhere, someday, the last Gentile, the last person going to heaven before the tribulation is going to get saved. And when that person gets saved, the trumpet blows and we are all out of here. So you might be holding us all up. (laughs) If you're here today and you've never come to Christ, look, isn't it wonderful that we can laugh in church? I mean, I grew up in church and there was no laughing. It was, turn the air conditioner on, please, you know, before we all faint. You know, it's, we can come together, we can laugh. But look, there, there, there's life. And Christ is offering that life. Not Calvary Chapel, not me, not church, not a denomination. Christ, he's offering that life. And if you've never come to him, that's where your life is. He's the one who paid on the cross for your sins. If you're willing to come to him today. While we sing this last song, I'd encourage you just to step out. You know, he says, if you're willing to confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father and all the angels of heaven. And you always have that moment. It's recorded in heaven. It's written in a book where you you stood publicly and accepted Christ. That way, when Satan reminds you of your past, you can remind him of his future, right? Let's pray. Let's worship. If he's drawing you today, you come. We would love to have the privilege to pray with you and give you some literature. Father, I know that you've overheard. And Lord, we, we, we pray you keep us. Lord, we can all get distracted and sleepy and slumber and take for granted so much of what we're surrounded with because, Lord, it just we become so familiar with it, Lord. And even in our culture, we say familiarity breeds contempt. Don't let that ever happen in our lives, Lord. Don't let us become so familiar with the glories you've promised that that it loses its luster, its, its wonder, Lord. Stir up our hearts, Lord. Let us find in this letter to Sardis a diagnosis for our own lives, Lord. And, Lord, we do pray for any that may be here, any that may be watching on the live feed, any that may hear this online that have never come, Lord, that maybe wherever they are, they get on their knees and just ask your forgiveness, that they'd forget about religion and they would come to relationship. And, Lord, we pray for any that are here today. You add to the church daily such as should be saved, Lord. You're the one with the sevenfold spirit and the seven stars. Would you draw, Lord, today into your arms, into your kingdom, into your love, any who are lost in darkness, frustration, emptiness, brokenness. Draw them today, Lord. That's your work. We watch with anticipation. We pray you do that, Father, and we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.